Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, Glenda Lee Allen Vosser will talk with Stuart Wells, chair of the Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board. And up first in today's country comment, I'll talk with Dr. Ryan Brook about the invasive wild pig situation on the prairies. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Dr. Ryan Brook of the University of Saskatchewan was a keynote speaker last week at Manitoba Pork's annual general meeting. He talked about the invasive wild pig situation. I asked Ryan about the problem here in Manitoba. Uh, they are a significant concern. Uh, one is a concern, much like if you have a, a small, there's no such thing as a small or unimportant house fire, or there's no such thing as a simple and easy uh, cancer diagnosis. Anytime you have wild pigs, their potential to explode and become out of control is very, very high. They have huge impacts on the ag sector and the environmental sector, even public health. And so we need to be very concerned. The numbers are relatively limited across most of Manitoba. There is a high concentration in the Spruce Woods area that's particularly important, and they can function as what we call a stronghold from which, and we're seeing this, pigs are, are dispersing out of there on a regular basis and spreading. And so that, there is a real concern for sure. Um, you talked about Saskatchewan being the hot spot, I guess. Just um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Saskatchewan uh, has more than half of all the wild pigs that we found across Canada are in Saskatchewan. Especially in the east central Saskatchewan, there's one major hotspot that we know has more wild pigs than the rest of Canada combined. The problem for Manitoba is that hotspot is literally right on the Manitoba border. And so Manitoba is doing things and moving this forward and talking about it. And our discussions today were fantastic about what to do. But uh, Manitoba also has to recognize that pigs can move in from Saskatchewan. And so we need to all be rowing in the same direction and coordinating our efforts to make sure that Manitoba is successful uh, inside the province, but also being good neighbors as well. What makes wild pigs so hard to, to control? Wild pigs reproduce at uh, truly alarming rates. They don't also, like our native deer, elk, moose, caribou, those animals have uh, relatively small numbers from usually one to three at most once per year and all in a three-week window in the spring and then they're done for the year. Wild pigs have six young per litter on average and will continuously reproduce throughout the year. The three months, three weeks, three days and uh, from, from conception to birth a few weeks they're weaned and then they get pregnant again and continue to so 12 young per average for a mature sow is normal and that reproductive rate means you could go out tomorrow and kill a thousand pigs in Manitoba and wow that's fantastic but if that's all you do and then stop you will have as many or more in two to three years you'll probably have more than more than that thousand being born again and so that reproductive rate they eat almost anything they're highly elusive they burrow under the ground under snow they hide under spruce trees and really heavy riparian willow cover and so finding them is hard and as fast as so for example with elk that have only one young per year you have to be very careful you don't over harvest an elk population then you might have to leave it for five or ten years to recover wild pigs you throw that out the window it's you remove half of the population tomorrow and you would probably see some small reduction in growth you probably need to kill about 80 or 90 percent to actually stop the stop the increase 
and you need to get towards that 100% factor to actually see them going down. So you need to have massive uh, removals and over huge areas. You know, our Canadian prairies are incredibly vast. And to be clear, I mean, these wild pigs are the worst invasive large mammal on the planet. And they currently have been found, to, uh, through our research, we've shown them to occupy one million square kilometers of Canada. So we are now late in the game and uh, with, with, you know, standing at a real crossroads of we either get real serious really fast to start to knock them down and move towards eradication or we see them get out of our grasp. And the window in Manitoba to eradicate is closing very rapidly. Or if we had a huge effort right now, I think we could, but it's a few years and, and they're, they're beyond control and here forever. That was Dr. Ryan Brook with the University of Saskatchewan speaking last week at Manitoba Pork's annual general meeting. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Poultry farmers in Saskatchewan, particularly ones with small flocks, are being encouraged to keep their birds indoors. It's because agriculture officials say a highly pathogenic type of bird flu was detected in a wild snow goose near the community of Elrose. A provincial news release says small flocks are considered high risk for highly pathogenic avian influenza because they're commonly allowed access to outdoor pens or are free range. Small flock owners are encouraged to confine their birds indoors if possible during this high-risk period of wild bird migration. Canadian Pork Council Chair Rick Bergman gave his annual report last week at Manitoba Pork's annual general meeting. He talked about the labour situation. The recent announcement by the government in regards to the Temporary Foreign Workers Program is welcome. It gives an opportunity for our sector to gain more popular or more, more influence and in getting more uh, labour into Canada from other parts of the world. And that's an exciting thing because we've seen the success of the individuals that have come to Canada in the past. And now we have, again, an opportunity to, to expedite that as well as have more of these folks come in. And the Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation has approved another round of grants. Here's Trust Grants Manager Tim Sopak. We're really pleased that uh, the Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation Board of Directors approved $7.5 million in grants going to 13 local watershed districts to support uh, watershed conservation under their uh, what they call their GROW program, Growing Outcomes in Watershed. This is an increase of over $2 million from last year for these kinds of projects. This is the second of two funding announcements from the Trust in 2022. The revenue for these watershed investments is generated from Manitoba's $204 million in contributions made to the Winnipeg Foundation between 2018 and 2020. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Monday, April 11th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glendalee Allen Wasser will chat with Stuart Wells, chair of the Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board. A Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench judge has certified a class action lawsuit against the Government of Canada and G3 Canada Limited. The lawsuit alleges financial irregularities occurred during the privatization of the Canadian Wheat Board. Glendalee Allen Wasser talks with Stuart Wells, chair of the Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board. Let's start with the beginning and just remind everybody what this is all about. Ten years ago, uh, the Conservative government, uh, led by Stephen Harper and his agricultural minister, Jerry Ritz, undertook to dismantle and destroy the Canadian Wheat Board. And there were a lot of ramifications uh, coming out of that, um, 
and the Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board actually had been created in 2006 to deal with um, the government's um, uh, actions against the Canadian Wheat Board. So in 2012, uh, further legal actions were undertaken to try to uh, maintain the asset base and the ongoing business that was very valuable to try to maintain that asset base for Western Canadian farmers. Part of the of the original action was uh, struck by the courts, and the courts ruled that farmers did not have um, an interest in the or a proprietary interest in the uh, physical assets of the Canadian Wheat Board, the the hopper cars, the building in Winnipeg, the the um, uh, ships that had been purchased to operate on the Great Lakes. But uh, other provisions of that original court case uh, stayed intact. <clears throat> and so that's what is at issue now. The, the uh, class action that has just been certified by the Manitoba courts uh, names a Manitoba farmer, Andrew Dennis, as the representative um, of the class. And it, uh, the class action is um, going to pursue the question of did the government pay out all the money that was owed to farmers uh, from the pooling accounts in those last two years, the 2010 crop year and 2010-2011 and 2011-2012 crop years, were the appropriate payments made to farmers? And the, uh, of course, we're alleging that in his haste, and um, I think it's not going too far to call Mr. Ritz's actions mean-spirited, um, but in his haste to uh, strip the assets away from farmers and get ready to give those assets to the government of Saudi Arabia and the grain company Bungie, um, Mr. Ritz and the cabinet orders were a little overzealous and um, actually went past his authority as agricultural minister. So those are the questions that are going to come before the court. They're very clearly spelled out by uh, Justice Martin in the ruling um, of this week. And um, so that's what we have to look forward now, uh, have to look forward to. It has taken, uh, you know, this last 10 years, the government, uh, first Mr. Ritz and then the Liberal government, have uh, delayed the the court actions uh, in every possible way they could, and so that's why it has taken ten years to get to this point. So what happens now? What is the next step? It's my understanding that uh, Justice Martin will not be the judge who hears the actual case. Um, so a different judge will have to be named, and uh, um, a trial date will have to be set and there will be an actual trial on the merits of this case. There's no timeline that I'm aware of, uh, so I don't. I, I would be hopeful that this case actually gets before the courts uh, this coming fall, but there's uh, no way to know if, um, <clears throat> if, if that will be the timeline that the court follows. But um, it's a very significant step that the action has been certified now as a class action, so... Uh, Mr. Dennis, uh, from the farmer from Manitoba, uh, will be the one that the court um, and the lawyers are dealing with as, uh, as this moves, moves forward. 
And it stays before the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench. Yes. Yes, absolutely. The only... It's a very long and convoluted story about how uh, the the case was moved from the federal court uh, to the Court of Queen's Bench. Uh, There are several different um, angles there, but this class action will now be heard by the Court of Queen's Bench in Manitoba. One of the lawyers, Anders Brun, also saying that they are seeking $10 million in punitive damages plus interest. Yes. Yeah. And of course, the interest uh, really adds up when, you know, you're looking back over the last 10 years and we're not at the end of this yet. So there could be, you know, two, three, four, five years um, uh, going forward. So 10 to 15 years worth of interest on um, 100 to $150 million, uh, that does add up over 15 years. And who would be responsible for paying that now? Uh, the government of Canada and G3, whoever the uh, G3 is the successor organization uh, of the Canadian Wheat Board, and uh, it would be up to the court to decide how to treat the class fairly. And if the award comes down um, in favor of the farmers, it will be the court that decides who, um, who actually pays that money. Final thoughts, key comments you would like to leave with producers today? Well, we've always we've always known right back to 2011 and 2012, um, regardless of whether you uh, supported the Canadian Wheat Board marketing system or if you didn't support it, we've always understood that what uh, the way that dismantling do- was done by by Mr. Ritz was morally wrong, and now we're going to find out if it was not just morally wrong but also legally uh, wrong. And um, so we're, you know, we're quite excited to get to this point and um, get this question before the court so that uh, the question can be be decided once and for all. I've been talking with Stuart Wells, chair of the Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board for Golden West. I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen-Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Keystone Agricultural Producers is hosting its Spring Advisory Council meeting tomorrow. You can register on the CAP website. Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiative is hosting grazing workshops tomorrow through April 14th. Register with MBFI. Tomorrow's event takes place at the Northdale Farm Site north of Brandon. April 13th, Ericsdale Community Centre. And April 14th, the Grandview Kinsman Community Centre. Dairy Farmers of Manitoba is hosting its spring meetings this month. One will take place April 13th at Canada Inn's Portage La Prairie, April 19th at the Days Inn in Winkler, and April 21st at the Pat Porter Active Living Centre in Steinbach. And looking ahead, Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is putting on a Fence and Water Solutions Workshop June 1st. The cost is $30. You can register on the MFGA website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, we continue our conversation with Dr. Ryan Brook of the University of Saskatchewan. He spoke last week at Manitoba Pork's annual general meeting about the invasive wild pig situation on the prairies. Are diseases like um, ASF, is that something that's really brought this to the forefront? 
ASF has been a major factor. We've been studying these wild pigs for over 12 years and sort of begging and screaming for action on this with not a whole lot of success in the first decade. But because of African swine fever uh, as, you know, this uh, disease of pigs only, but of course would be catastrophic to the domestic pig industry, this could be a, a real problem. We, we th I think all of the experts in the domestic side think if it does show up, it would mostly come in the domestic pig side. But our research has shown lots of interaction between domestic and wild pigs through fences and even animals jumping in with domestic pigs. And if it got into wild pigs, then opportunities to eradicate African swine fever and recover would become a thousand times more challenging. And um, just talk about control, control measures that work and, and others that don't. Uh, the only path forward to success in my view and my expertise is a toolbox approach where you have lots of tools in the toolbox and you use them all. You know, that line that if the only thing you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail is true. And so ground trapping using large panel traps, you can capture entire sounder groups with that. And those are great, but that alone will not get you there. You need to be doing other things. Uh, we talked today about possibility of using poison. Um, we have shown with great success the use of what we call a Judas pig, where we have a helicopter, we capture a pig, put a GPS satellite collar on it, let it go, and then follow that pig. And nothing finds wild pigs better than another wild pig. And so we've tried uh, vasectomizing a male, collaring it, and then using it to follow where they go. So there are a lot of tools. Uh, hunting is not one of the solutions, unfortunately, although it sort of makes sense that it might the problem with sport hunting is that it breaks up groups and spreads them around and hunter success is actually amazingly low uh, in Canada and so hunting is not a path forward to success and, and I said today that you know you can either have sport hunting of pigs or you can have eradication pick one and right now Manitoba is effectively open season so I think we're going to need to have a serious conversation about changing that if we want to have success. All right. Anything else to add? or If uh, people are interested in seeing videos, if you want to download a map of where wild pigs are in Manitoba, uh, we've made an interactive map that you can open in Google Earth on your phone or tablet or desktop or laptop. And if you just uh, go on Facebook, the Canadian Wild Pig Research Project, the pinned post at the very top has, you just click and download those maps and you can see, you can zoom in on your farm or, or the area where you're interested in, in going or working and see what this current status of wild pigs are. That was Dr. Ryan Brook of the University of Saskatchewan. He spoke last week at Manitoba Pork's annual general meeting about the invasive wild pig situation on the prairies. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation Board of Directors recently approved $7.5 million in grants to 13 local watershed districts. The money will support critical watershed conservation projects delivered under Manitoba's Growing Outcomes in Watersheds program. Trust Grants Manager Tim Sopak talked about how the money will be used. They're really focused on watershed plan objectives that have been established by each of these districts. Every district has a plan that establishes priorities to try to improve, manage things like flooding. This funding can go directly to projects to address those situations. This is the second of two funding announcements from the Trust here in 2022. The revenue for these watershed investments is generated from Manitoba's $204 million in contributions made to the Winnipeg Foundation between 2018 and 2020. 
And African swine fever was a key topic discussed at Manitoba Pork's AGM held last week. Here's Canadian Pork Council Chair Rick Bergman. An awful lot of preparedness on the focus of biosecurity. And for an example, the, the dogs that are in some airports here within Canada have been instrumental in sniffing out a contraband product coming into Canada. That's a great way to prevent uh, foreign animal disease entering into our country. So that would be an example of some of the work on the, on the biosecurity side. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have details from CAP's Spring Advisory Council meeting. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.